In today's episode, it's episode 30, we've got Alex Hart coming on. Hey, David, what did you think about it? It was great. I, I learned so much about just jobs that I didn't know even existed in sports science uh, because he works for Stats Sport. And I always thought that was just like he's a salesman. He just gets people the product and that's it. But it's just so much more. Honestly, after the chat, I was like, I wish I had his job. Like his job sounds unbelievable. Being able to travel all over the world, helping like professional football teams, working with professional athletes. So, yeah, I thought it was and unbelievable. What do you I'll think? Tell you what, he didn't not. He not only dropped knowledge, we also told us some great stories about some Premier League stars that you guys may know as well. We are the RSS Podcast. Let's go. Right, and today for a little bit of a catch-up, instead of that catch-up, we've got quick-fire questions for David. I feel like a news Visit. reporter. David, are you ready for quick-fire questions? It's been a while. I'm out of practice. Oh, yes. <laughs> correct, correct answer, David. <laughs> All right, are you ready for the first one, David? Let's go, let's go. Come on. If you had to eat one thing for every meal going forward, what would you eat? Salad. Because you can make so many different salads. You can make regular salads. You can make pasta salads. You know, like the diversity on the salad. My dad said potatoes. I mean, but you can do a lot with potatoes as well, though. Like you can make mash. You could bake them. You can make fries. Steak. Meat. Hmm. Meat. I think salad because technically there's lots of things that come. Potato salad. All right. You you can have salad. Me and Liver King, we're going to have meat. Steak. (laughs) We're going to get big. All right. But I'll just put, I'll just put steak movie, in my salad. To be? Wait, say that again. Say it again. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if someone were to play you in a movie, who would you want it to be? It's got to be Brad Pitt. It's got to be Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt or Orlando Bloom. If, <laughs> if, you, if you could spend a day in someone else's shoes, who would they be and why? Oh, somebody else's shoes. Alex Hart, our get our next interview, our next interviewer, Alex Hart. That's who I'd want to life day in the life there of, you go. of working with professional athletes. That's actually and find out more by the way when it comes later. But last question, David: British athletics or Canada athletics? Listen, listen, British athletics uh, is paying me, and I love the experience. But you gotta go with the home country. You gotta go with the home nation, Canada all the way. Come on. <laughs> There we go. What a way to end it, eh? Eh? Yeah, absolutely. Eh? Eh? And with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but we do have a great interview lined up and we should jump to that right now. So make sure you listen, like, share, subscribe on YouTube if you're listening uh, or watching there. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. Let us know what you think in the comments. Um, Share it if you like it. We really appreciate it. Without further ado... Alex Hart. Today we've got a special guest once again. His name's Alex Hart. He's a senior sports scientist responsible for assisting elite teams in the implementation of player tracking technology and data analysts at Stats Sports. He's worked at clubs such as Ealing Trailfinders, a sports science intern at Liverpool Football Club. He's got his degrees from University of Essex and from Liverpool John Moores University. It's Alex Hart. Let's get right into it then. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. 
No so problem. I know I know who I'm yes. going to go to when I need to uh, get my stats done for my PhD. I'm just going to drop <laughs> drop Alex a message, <laughs> stats guy. Nice, very much so, very much so. No, we're keen to help with research whenever we can. <laughs> Amazing, perfect. Um, as yeah, as always, we would like to know more about you and your journey to like well, your journey through uni to all these clubs, and then how how have you ended up here? Um, here on this podcast essentially <laughs> <laughs> no definitely i mean I'll, I'll jump in with with the education side um first and foremost so as, as you said uh, in, in my brief um my undergraduate degrees from the university of essex i was really fortunate when i was at the university to pick up a couple of of uh, unpaid roles and and um in, the, in my final year a, a paid role with the, the strength and conditioning department so um in the first year it was very much uh the the, the less um glamorous jobs that a sports scientist would have to do. I mean, one of my, one of my roles was collecting urine for, for some of the players and analyzing their hydration status before games. Um, they were student athletes, so uh, it wasn't the most glamorous of jobs. And, and definitely, I think if we had looked at the alcohol substance in, in the urine, I think we'd have found something else um, rather than <laughs> just dehydration. Um, but then the, the, in the third year, it was very, very much, I was very fortunate to work with a guy called uh, to Justin Mills, He's still at the university. He's the head of strength and conditioning. Um, the university is quite quite a unique one. Uh, it has has uh, three focus sports, which are volleyball, basketball, and, and rugby sevens. So obviously, not too much you can do with the GPS there, apart from the, the seven side of things. But really, really um, great time in the gym. Uh, lots of contact time with the athletes, which is really, really good. Uh, from there, I decided that I wanted to, to pursue. Um, uh, further education and, and go on and, and you know you firsthand that the sports science is an incredibly competitive field it's getting more and more um, difficult to acquire a, a full-time role with just your bachelor's degree doesn't matter how much experience you have you kind of need to tick that master's box so I went up to to Liverpool John Week Moores University to, to do my master's fantastic course fantastic lecturers but I'll be very honest and say that I had an eye on, on, on working at one of the football clubs and also trying to trying to get um, some tickets as well when, when they came available. Um, so yeah, went up to John Moore's, um, studied masters, my master's in strength and conditioning. Um, alongside that, I worked as a, a sports science intern with, with Liverpool Football Club. That was some experience with the first team. Um, majority of the experience with, was with the academy, which was, which was fantastic and um, kind of analysing their, their fitness data. So as well as the GPS, things like heart rate, um, jump monitoring, ultimately things that would try and inform our, our programme design and our developmental pro- programme design. Um, uh, and, and again, a little bit of that was with the women's team as well, which obviously they're, they're, they're quite separate. So uh, probably the only person in the world to have a Premier League win and a women's um, Super League relegation in the same season on my CV, which is uh, goes to show, I don't think it was me on either of those cases. Um, so yeah, finished up at John Moore's. Um, the, the really nice thing about that that pathway and that, that master's degree is that you finish with a, a placement. So I went down to, to Ealing Trailfinders back down in London. As you can tell, it's a little bit closer to home than, uh, than Liverpool. So obviously did some time at Ealing, looked after the majority of the academy, but had some first team duties as well, which was really fun. Um, jumped in with the GPS and that this kind of opened that door of, of GPS monitoring. Uh, whilst at Ealing as well, as, as I collected um, some data, did some, did some case study analysis and have managed to, to publish a couple of studies off the back of that. So one of which is in the Journal of Sport Exercise, um, Sports and Exercise Science. Uh, looking into the relationship between um, physical characteristics of the data from squats, bench, um, 
kind of like sprint data and some jump data and the technical performance parameters. So line breaks, clean breaks, things like that. We kind of found that the speed ultimately does kill in rugby. It's, it's, it's the, the biggest kind of differentiating factor between, between, um, those who do score tries and those who don't. And then, um, the other study was, was just kind of a, a narrative review of the, the elite space. So what, uh, what, what is differentiating factors in, in international rugby union and, and premiership rugby union, things like that. Obviously, you can see there's, there's a general theme of, of data and statistics and looking at the GPS. Um, so a role came up with, with Statsports. Obviously, I'd used the system uh, comprehensively at both Liverpool and, and Ealing and um, decided to take the plunge on, on more of a business um, development minded role where, where I, my role at the minute is to, as you say, is assist our elite clientele. So um, those who are using using our, our products and our, our services, assisting them in how to implement the system and, and get the most out of the system from a data and analytics perspective. But um, what's quite unique about my role as well is I'm, I'm responsible for assisting our, our elite business development teams, so the likes of obviously Matt, you've had um, dealings with Scott before, and we've got a fantastic team of of business development managers who are ultimately offering them product expertise, um, getting on site with with clubs across across Europe and across the world. And trying to to further our, our client acquisition process. Ultimately, we want to work with teams, not not just be a a marketplace for teams to buy equipment from. No, hundred percent. Yeah, thank thank you for that little rundown. It was a uh, nice to hear. So while you were at Ealing, did you know you were playing a player, a winger, uh, Luke Talbot? Does that name ring a bell? Yes. Yeah. He's at, yeah, I he's do. at yeah. Judians now. A brilliant. Yeah, no, I remember nice. Luke. We'll compare stats later. I'll see if he's gotten any slower or something. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to do him a disservice. <laughs> no, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, Liverpool. Just, what was it like? Like, was there any massive differences you noticed working in Liverpool with those three teams, like the academy first team, and then and then the women's team as well? Yep. So it was, it was pre, um, they, they built a, a new training facility called the, the AXA training ground. That was, that was pre that. The, the first team was still very much at Melwood. The academy were in Kirby and, um, the women's team were actually in Tranmere. So they were across the water on, on the Wirral. Um, yep. In terms of, in terms of what I've seen post and going in and obviously speaking with those who still work at the club, uh, it's that integration, bringing them all together onto one site. I know the women's team is still, um, to this day, not, on that site as well, which is something I think the club are trying to address. Um, but yeah, it makes it, it makes it more difficult. I definitely think on, of being on different sites for the academy players to see that progression to the first team. I mean, we really benefited from from a fantastic coaching staff at the first team level, bringing players across and and obviously being able to to be involved in first team training sessions. But it was it was not few and far between. It, it happened commonly, but it was it was it wasn't the same kind of as as it would be now with them ultimately on the same facility, being able to see if you're a, a young centre-half, Virgil van Dijk is, is two doors down in a, in a, in a changing room. It's, it's a very different, um, very different process. What it meant is we were very reliant on, on the sharing of data, and that's something that, that Statsports are fantastic at, is that you can share data seamlessly um, throughout players, teams at the same club and, and throughout different squads. Ultimately, data continuity is huge. You don't want people dropping through the gap and being missed yeah. and things like that. Ultimately, it's not very much when it comes to load management and load monitoring. I'm very much of the opinion it's the straw that breaks the camel's back rather than it's, it's that missed session that, that ultimately costs you. It's it's not having that full gauge because if we're not monitoring as much as possible and we're missing quite a lot, then you might as well not monitor anything at all, in my opinion. Um, but, but yeah, no, it was... 
I think things have definitely improved from a from a management perspective across multiple players. But no, we we did the best. We did absolutely the best that we had, and we had some really really brought in people to that process. You talked about like the integration of of teams, uh, and that that's unbelievable. I'm just wondering of like communication wise. Uh, kind of two questions of did you find a difference of how you had to communicate depending on what team that you were communicating to, whether it was the first team, the academy team, um, or the women's team? Like, was there a difference? How did you kind of navigate that and, and find that? It's 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 very much um, what I think is, is, is a nice balance is with, with the first team, especially because of the amount of money involved and the risk and things like that is it's very, everything is performance focused. Especially, right. I think when you're working with coaches who who have come from different models, which is which is a really exciting thing. Obviously, there's there's different models depending on different countries, and um, obviously the Portuguese model is 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 kind of world famous. That tactical periodization, despite me not liking the words, that's that's their model and, and things like that. Um, the German model is very different. The English model is very different. People have different ways of of implementing the same concepts, but but the implementation obviously is the essential part. So at the first team level, it was very much performance driven. Everything was related back to the competition or back to the game. So things like um, accelerations and decelerations for a sports scientist, they're very, in, they're very indicative of um, change of direction and change of speed. Obviously, that's, that's obviously what, uh, with, with a coaching staff, you have to be a bit more nuanced than the neuromuscular load of, of changing direction or changing speed. It's very much we related things to pressing and counterpressing. Mm. So ultimately it bleeds a bit more into that. It's the, there's a reason that we're training this. There's a reason that we're looking to develop this from a physical perspective and it's to, to improve their technical and tactical performance with the Academy. It's very much more of that developmental um, focus. You're looking to prepare them for the next stage of their career, but you don't know what that stage is going to be. If, if, if we were all, um, if we were all fantastic and brilliant at, at our jobs, obviously that might mean that they're going to play first team football at Liverpool Football Club. Not every single player who comes through the academy, it's a very, very small percentage do. So we need to prepare them for, for pretty much any uh, circumstance or scenario they could find themselves in. Uh-huh. An example uh-huh. of that is is ultimately, look, you see players this season, obviously there are injury injuries that happen. Players like a Stefan Bajetic or a Tyler Morton, who's now down at Blackburn, these kind of players have to step into first team roles. Yeah, we need as a performance staff to basically be able to say, or physical performance staff be able to say they are ready to do this from that physical perspective. Obviously, there's plenty of developmental work that can happen, but in terms of that kind of bottom line box ticking exercise, the way I always relate it back is that is, is to use a basketball analogy. You're not gonna you're not gonna be a power forward in basketball if you're not around seven foot it just doesn't mm-hmm. like it doesn't happen anymore it, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist mm-hmm. so that bottom line has to be met from a physical perspective if you can't cover very generic data if you can't cover ten thousand meters total if you're a central midfield player and you can't cover ten thousand meters total distance 60 to 100 axles and d cells a game um a thousand meters high speed running yeah. then when you jump into that premier league scenario yeah. you are more like you are more disposed to injury you are more disposed to 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 a poorer performance from a physical perspective. You might have a great game. We know players like Andrea Perlo and even Lionel Messi have large walking distances. They're not covering high-speed running, but mm-hmm. their technical and tactical game is there. Academy players, it's not quite to the same extent. Mm-hmm. Therefore, ultimately, we need to be able to kind of at least cover that physical perspective, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. And one thing that I want to ask on, uh, on again uh, on... You mentioned kind of the nuances and talking to coaches. And I think 
uh, that going from like science to sport and then having knowledge, but being able to bring it across in a way that's understood is so difficult. And I think you work in a very difficult position because, because data often scares people who don't come from like a science background. Um, so how, how did you find that? Did you ever have, I guess, how did you get good at it? How did you get good at, at transferring the knowledge from science into sport in a way that was understood and brought on board? Um, did you learn from people? How, how did you find that? Was there any time where you did it poorly? And, and what happened from that? Or how did you learn from that moving forward? Yep. So to, to answer your question around how, how did I get better, it, it, it will, for, for students especially, this is the kind of biggest caveat is failing. You, yeah. you need to fail. You need to get okay. you need to get it wrong to get it right. Um, so the big one. So I'll give you an example for mailing. I'd sit for hours on on um, visualization software like Power BI or Tableau, and I'd sit and I'd make these very pretty, very nice um, graphs and tables and things like that. I'd take it to the coach, and the coach is not interested. They've got <laughs> a million and one different jobs. It's not right. if it's not for me. If it's if you can't communicate your data in an understandable way. And be able to bring takeaways to the table because ultimately there's there's no benefit to me saying um, X, Y, and Z for total distance, high speed running, accelerations, decelerations, the generic kind of external load measures. If it then doesn't either influence session design and training design yeah. or influence coach decision making, which again right. leads into that session design perspective. Yeah. It's very much you need to relate it to to things that matter to coaches in a rugby perspective. Ultimately, things like the kick chase for, for kind of getting around, getting high speed running and, and maximum speed, um, conversations going, um, a massive, obviously I'm talking very much locomotive characteristics at the moment, but for, for rugby coaches, we know that the element of the game around collisions and collision load, that's mm. a huge element in the game that's, that's often misinterpreted in, in terms of external load characteristics. For example, if you're if you're a front row forward, you're not going to get much high speed running in a game. Some coaches might use that as a stick to beat a, a player with if they, they, their their numbers are low in comparison to other positions. But if they're recording three times, four times the amount of collisions, we know their neuromuscular load is probably going to be through the roof. Mm. They won't benefit from training to from training in the same way that a winger, a fullback, or a centre will. They're a very unique position on the field. So it's being again, it's being able to communicate that. In an understandable way that they can relate. Huge one for that is we 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 loved to relate everything back to the game right. to be able to say right. this is how much we did in terms of volume and intensity compared to this game that we played when the players said they were blowing, they were struggling. We might have won, we might have lost, things like that. Mm-hmm. For example, if if we know that in order to beat Manchester City at the Etihad, this was what it looked like from external load characteristics. What did training look like as a comparison to that? Because mm-hmm. then when coaches can kind of make that a little bit more understandable in their own heads and saying mm-hmm. instead of low, medium, heavy in terms of relation to things like worst case scenarios, which I know is getting a lot of, of, of bad attention at the moment in literature. And, and um, I, I, can, I can agree with that in terms of a physiological perspective, but in terms of communicating data to coaches, I think it really has value in terms of of relating their their drills, their exercises, what they're doing on the training pitch to what the players are facing in the game. Because ultimately, we like to spin this as physical coaches and analysts. The game is the most important part. The match is the most important part. If we are not influencing what happens there, we aren't going to be in a job for very long. Right, right. 
or at least at some point what we're doing is going to change what we do do you go do you go into those conversations with with kind of a hierarchy of in your mind even if you don't say it of best case scenario this is what i'd like to see done and this is my professional opinion we should do this this xyz but do you come kind of with a hierarchy if if they don't want to do all of that this is kind of the second best that i would think we can do or if it's the first isn't feasible um do do you go like do you think that's i don't know do you think that's valuable or is or is it not definitely i mean what i love what i love about the training plan and and training program design is that it's 50 percent objective data so Hmm. What is what 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 is the what is the GPS as an example? What does the micro technology tell us? What is that objective information that we can't argue with? Mm-hmm. And fifty percent or more sometimes can be the subjective, the coach's experience. There's a reason why they are paid so highly. There's a reason why ultimately they are everything. Every if if it goes wrong, it's their head on the chopping block. Mm. In 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 a, in that analogy, it's it, that metaphor. It's it's their head is on the chopping block. Um, so that's ultimately, I will come to the table. I will come to coaches with, with my own narrative of what I want to spin from a, from a physical perspective or a, ultimately that's the expert I am I, in, in those scenarios. I am the, the physical training expert. Um, ultimately I, 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 I know what I want to achieve. However, I have had scenarios where a coach is, has, has said, look, this is what we're going to do. And if anything, it's been better than the training plan that I had in my head from a, from a objective markers because we still hit the same objective markers, but he he's satisfied from a, from a subjective coach experience um, viewpoint. It definitely, it's the, I don't not too much as a best case scenario because again that that would be um, not arrogant, but but in terms of from my opinion is ultimately me believing that I know better than the coach, and and in, in some areas I will, in some areas I won't. Um, it's very much a case of I will come with my opinion backed up by objective data. My favorite saying of this is, is as someone told me that a coach once said is, is if you have, if you have data, we'll have a conversation, but if we have an opinion, we'll go with mine. <laughs> that's very much a case of that's they're the good. ones who are paid. Yeah. They're the ones who are paid the big money. They're the ones who, who ultimately are. You often see less so nowadays, but definitely when I was coming through it within um, the football club and the rugby club is it, it, it very much was a case of if there was a coaching decision to be made, it would be the head coach and performance staff would stay. So if we, if we aren't to blame when things go badly, we can't also be the ones responsible when things go well. It's a team. It's a team that works together and being able to kind of come with my opinion backed up by objective data, obviously strengthens the case. We, we succeed when we work collaboratively. We don't succeed when we ignore each other or believe that we are smarter or have a better opinion than someone else. Mm. Ultimately, when, when if I can influence their decision-making with some objective data, that's great. But if their decision-making is based solely around the objective, then they might as well get me to do, design, do the training design. Mm. And ultimately, there's a reason why I'm not paid the same money that uh, Pep Guardiola or Jürgen Klopp are. It's because mm. they come with their own expertise. Mm. No, hundred percent. I, I mean, I'm agreeing here. Like the links. Yeah, I, I remember I went down to uh, I went down to Ealing as well, for, and I got there seven in the morning just for like a little shadow from for, with the SNC coach. I think it was Nick Gallagher. Do you know him? 
Yep, brilliant. Go on, Nick. So 100%. He let me come down for a couple of days and then I just sat in that first coach's meeting and it was just amazing to see because you don't get taught this in at uni during the master's course or, you know, some clubs don't even have this. But I sat down there and I just, the head coach stood up and he just directed it like an orchestra almost. You know, he was like, bang, trumpets go. So the forwards coach would just start speaking. Then you go, okay, but then how would that influence, you know, the, the, scrum coach and then he would stand up and talk and then he was just like and what we like on numbers who are the three like um not worst performers but who need to like really pull their socks up who aren't hitting their meterage or are we having any issues along the snc side then he would stand up and then from there everyone's making notes on what they need to do for that day and it was just amazing to watch um and even like going to your point that like there is sort of a hierarchy but like there's a reason why the head coach is getting paid the big bucks it's because like even going down to loughborough um, with their first team and I could see like the SNC coach had a 15 minute like warm-up plan ready and then he gets there and it was going to be um, like all of them together and he gets there and the coach is like right you've got five minutes for the forwards and then we're going to bring them back and then you've got the backs coming over in five minutes and then like sweet yeah. and that's all you can say because you, you there's no point arguing because by the time you've done your arguing or said your point they're going to be with you there so you just went okay cool and then got to thinking like if you get given the five minutes you got given the five minutes and there's no you know, you just got to work with it. And at the end of the day, we're here to help the players. So there's no point arguing back. You just need to be on the ball and be the best you possibly can be at that time. Um, Definitely. I mean, performance, perform, the performance in any sport, aside from, I would say aside from track and field, because ultimately track and field is, is you run more, you win more. But performance, it's, it's incredibly complex. We, there was a study in the 2018 FIFA World Cup, which found that there was no difference between any of the confederations or distance run, sprints made, accelerations, decelerations, high-speed running. If you were Saudi Arabia, you were doing the same as Brazil. There was no difference at all across any of them. So this, I know it's got a lot of traction this, this year. Sky Sports is you, you, you sprint more, you win more narrative. That just doesn't exist. It doesn't, it's not true. You do need to have physical performance to be able to implement styles of play that have a, have, a, have a greater effect on match result and things like that. But just to give you tangible evidence, we, we found that in teams where we won 6-0 would be our highest running stats of the season and games and would be our joint highest running stats with games where we lost 6-0, as an example. So those tight games would actually be probably our lowest physical output. So if it just was me being able to influence, me being able to influence match result by getting the players as fit as humanly possible, they could run as uh, they could run, they could sprint, they could do everything they want at such a higher effort, then quite frankly, Leeds United would have won the Premier League last season. They had the highest sprint stats across the league. I think the highest sprint sprinting stats that have ever been recorded in a Premier League season. And they were went to the final day in terms of the relegation battle. Hmm. So if it was that simplistic, we'd, all, hmm. we'd be laughing as a, as a sports science company because people yeah. would come to us for the most accurate data they can possibly get because it influences, influences the whim. We know it's much more nuanced, much more complex than that. 100%. So then would you say that it's not only like, there's obviously like a phys, you've got to get those players to where they're physically performing at their best. But then is it uh, more important to get their technical skills at their like to the closest of their physical performance in the sense like you want them to be able to perform all these sprints but technically as well that while having a ball by their foot just keeping it as if it was glued to the foot you want them to be able to keep it as close to that i guess Um, yeah yeah you you ultimately you want to you want to identify what are the determinants of performance what do i know has a tangible link with winning so 
obviously, thing just to make it really, really simple with football, it's goal scored. The more goals you score, the more likely you are to win. What influences goals scored? We know from a technical tactical perspective, it might be it's things that influence um, expected goals. So the technical and tactical skill of the players who are responsible for putting the ball in the back of the net. Erling Haaland, for example, is phenomenal at finding space in the penalty area. He, he is fantastic at leading the attack, things like that, things that ultimately I don't have much of a bearing on. However, from a physical side, I could turn around to the head coach and say, I know from tangible evidence, objective data, that the, the, the physical event that precedes 85% of goals scored is a straight line sprint followed by a deceleration. So straight away, in terms of the physical perspective, I need that player to be able to handle straight line linear sprinting and deceleration events. The reason for that is straight line sprinting moves you. They're both events that move you away from a defender. It, it creates space. The more space you have, the greater the likelihood of scoring because you have more time to, 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 do, the, to do the shooting action. You have, you have more space, you have, especially in the penalty area. Ultimately, if I could influence that way and say, this is why I would like to do a training plan that, that includes linear sprinting and deceleration. Ultimately, we know what football looks like. Football does look like that anyway. A rugby perspective is, is for example, if we say that an effective kick chase is, is a determinant of performance. It means that we, the opposition, have less territory. They pick up the ball in less territory. They have to kick for territory. We get the ball back at a high position of the field. Another example is from Leinster. A guy called Pete Tierney found that of the, 22, the, the uh, attacking 22 entries, Ones that were successful, the forwards were running at a very high running speed. The reason for that is because when they weren't running at a very high running, uh, sorry, the backs were, 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 yeah, forwards were running at a very high running speed. The reason for that is because they were already in their attacking set, ready to burst, ready to ready to punch through, ready to accelerate yeah. into the the, 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 the line, um, make their make their running lines. So ultimately, if I can influence that and say, well, the forwards need to be doing more more work on acceleration and 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 ultimately being able to to be robust to high speed running demands. It's me. I've influenced it from a physical perspective. I've said that this is a determinant of performance in that perspective, but I've also made it related to to, to, to winning. So what is it that we need to do to win? If I turn around and said, look, we need to do a lot of running because the lads aren't fit, like they'd turn around and go, well, that's, that's your job. You've, you failed your job there. This, is, this isn't helping us win. This is helping you yeah. scratch your own back. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I guess it is so important to have that big team objective and then say you look at Haaland as a, as a puzzle and then you're putting your mm. jigsaw piece in, your puzzle piece in to make it all. And then after you've got him to that, say you've increased his running speed, you've increased the amount he can decelerate, the speed he can decelerate at, that's your set. Then you've got the tactical coach that will have to implement, okay, now we've got to look at where is he finding the areas of space to get into? Is he good at that and evading the player? Um, so yeah, you just literally, you're building building little puzzle pieces that can run across the field and try to score goals so then you don't get yep. sacked, eh? At, um, the, at the very highest level, we're also starting to see it bleed into recruitment. So you will see, like again, I'll keep going back to Liverpool, but I'll use, uh, Leeds United is a really good example. So Leeds United have, have a very high intensity style of football it's obviously Bielsa was was on a different planet and then they brought in Jesse Marsh who's from that Red Bull um, group style where it's very much high pressing counter pressing transition is is key things like that they will recruit players who they know are physically prepared to play that style of football they aren't looking at players who are who they're looking at players who are in the Bundesliga or 
who are in Austria at the Red Bull clubs and things like that, who have already played that style of football. Um, again, Liverpool, you look at their, who, who, who have they signed in recent years? You look, you see Naby Keita, or we're going from Red Bull Leipzig, Ibrahima Kanate, Red Bull Leipzig, Sadio Mane had played for Red Bull Salzburg previously. You're starting to see those, those Takumi Minamino, again, Red Bull Salzburg. They're, they're players who, who they know that they don't need to do as much work in terms of preparing them physically to do that style of football. It is more the technical, technical, the technical, tactical implementation of that style that's different. Mm-hmm. And you can see that when players, when teams, that's I think always key is when you, if a team is transitioning in style of play, the best, the easiest way to identify that is probably in, in recruitment patterns. Being able to see, oh, someone like a Thiago. Alcantara would never have been part of a, a midfield when Jurgen first came into the football club because he's changing, he's, it's, it's nuanced and things like that. If you were to look at um, Manchester City as another example, they've won league title after league title after league title. But if you actually look at their physical running stats, their locomotive um, characteristics, they're very, very similar to a Wolverhampton Wanderers in terms of lots of ball possession. Um, things like that. It's they're very um, trans. Risk, I'd say risk averse in transition. They don't love the transition. They like control, control, control. That's why I think the two clubs who are most interested in that, Matthias Nunz from Sporting last summer, was Manchester City, and he went to Wolverhampton Wanderers. They identified him as being able to fit. Like, a Rodri, as an example, would look like a very different player in a Jurgen Klopp mm. midfield to a yeah. Pep Guardiola midfield. Mm. That's you have such unbelievable knowledge of football players. It's unbelievable, and as well as the tactics and how that <laughs> plays into it. So it's just it's curious that now you're working in the business side of things. And do you miss? I have so many questions. I have so many questions. <laughs> do you do you miss <laughs> being on the ground in a football team, making those decisions, having those conversations with coaches and, and trying to figure that out for that specific team performance. And then, and then off the back of that, like how, how did you get into the business side and, and what, what drew you from stepping away from kind of the more in one team on the ground performance for one specific team to the business side of things? In terms of missing, missing things, I think sometimes you have that um, I mean, I'm very fortunate. I get to visit some of the most amazing football clubs in the world. Um, I get to, to obviously witness training and, and meet with some um, practitioners who, who are at levels that I will never be able to achieve in terms of their, their knowledge and their expertise. Um, that sometimes you come away and you, you left waning. Sometimes you wish the, the phrase is wish you still had your boots on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very fortunate in that I have a few consultancy projects that, that keep me keep me involved in, in that kind of in that kind of realm and, and being able to provide expertise there. Obviously get to come on to, to podcasts like this and, and have mm-hmm. a chat with you guys, which is which is always um, which is always great fun. Um, but but in terms of, of my role now is the my favorite part of my previous role was working in the team. I like to collaborate, I like to be able to have my area of expertise, which I pass on and be able to, to influence how other people operate in terms of, of in, in, in obviously the football environment, in terms of session design and the rugby environment, again, session training design and, and um, decision making. But from that business perspective is I'm working with people who, who have expertise that I, I've never, ever even been ex- um, exposed to. So being able to negotiate things like negotiation and, and mm-hmm. lead generation, things like that, which ultimately 
we I've never had to do before and, and never had an experience working with. So being able to kind of provide my my expertise, my my um, insight to, to those guys, I think has it really excited me. It, it, mm. um, and they're a fantastic team at Stat Sports. There, if, if anyone's ever had the, the pleasure of dealing with them, they are phenomenal at what they do. They're very detail orientated, and I'm, I'm very lucky to work with them. But um, so you're on you're on the other side of it. Yeah, like literally. Maybe ten, I don't know how many years ago you thought, oh, it'd be really nice if I could do this with this data, and now you get to take that to the people you work with and work for and be like, actually, can we do this? Cause that would be really beneficial for me three years ago. Definitely. Exactly. And plus I'm, I'm, I, I get to, I get to provide um, an outside perspective. It's something that when I was in club environments, I absolutely loved is outside perspective. You get very, you get very much into your bubble of your team and, and having someone kind of come in and go, oh, why don't you try, what, like, why don't you have a look at this part? Why don't you, why don't you look at this metric as an example? It's valid, it's reliable, it's sensitive to change, and it could influence your, your session design, things like that. It's, it's being able to kind of come in and not audit. I'm not, I'm not trying to judge, or, or, but, but for lack of a better phrase, is, is I kind of get to audit the, the performance program from an external load management perspective. So kind of go, almost ask the question of, if, why are you looking at this metric? Like, what, what is it? That, why are you collecting 18 different data points but only reporting four? why is it that there's no um, meeting between yourself and the perform the, the, the technical staff? Because ultimately they're the ones driving the training design. They're the ones who are driving the increase or decrease in these metrics that you're monitoring, but then there's no feedback process. And if there's no mm. feedback process, you might as well just not be connect, collecting the data because the only person who's being influenced it is you. And so you're, you're sitting at home and hours on end looking at data, might be grimacing at, at, at certain things that are coming up. But if you're not actually feeding back that back to coaches, then the coaches aren't, there's no there's no process there ultimately um ultimately your your job is is in in, in some respects redundant um but yeah no I, I i i'm very fortunate to work with a great team obviously being able to provide insight there get to travel to some of the most amazing locations in the world i mean um I'm, this sunday I'm, I'm going to to fc copenhagen versus fc norgeland in the in the danish um superliga um, just just because I've got a great relationship with the guys at Copenhagen, and, and ultimately we've got some wow. meetings lined up in Denmark, um, yeah. meetings lined up in Denmark as well. So it's it's being able to visit and and be involved in in organisations which you you wouldn't have ever dreamed of. I mean, I've been to the Club World Cup with Stat Sports with um, the the team who won the African Champions League. I mean, that was something that I'd never never envisioned. Um, yeah. I've, I've I've been able to be involved with. Um, the, 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 the deal that we did with the, the New Zealand Black Sticks Hockey Organization, again, mm. Olympic hockey, something I've never had any experience with, but being able to, to talk with their analysts, to talk with their fitness coaches, their SNCs, their high performance director, and, and being involved in that process is just something that you wouldn't have envisioned. Yeah. Um, when working at, at, at Ealing Trailfinders or even back when I was, when I was interning at the University of Essex and, and things like that, it's, 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 Sport is incredibly fast-paced, and being a part of that is is, is fantastic. It does take mm. its toll. I mean, it, straight away to students out there, it's sports science is a very attractive job, but there's there's definitely things that when you get into the role that are unattractive about it. It's, it is it's long hours. It's very it's incredibly exciting, but it's it's very reduced flexibility in terms of you might look and I've got I have friends who are teachers, for example. And they're on they're on holiday every other week. Um, so they've got some time every other week. And I remember <laughs> I, I remember being at Liverpool, for example, and, and we were we were going for a league title. Like we were going for a league title and, and to try and progress in the Champions League. It's relentless. 
it's mm. you think of what it looks like for players at around Christmas time. It's even it's it's, it's hard for coaching staffs and, and things like that before you, there is mm. there is a burnout to it, and and ultimately you can see that the, the off seasons are getting shorter and shorter and shorter as they try and pack more and more games in. There is a lifespan to sports to sports science and sports scientists. Um, yeah. For example, you don't see many who are above the, above the age of forty still working mm. in, in practice. Um, we're in business in, within the business development. Obviously, it is it's a business, so you it's it's more of a commercial enterprise. You do have that flexibility. You have the ability to to say, okay, I'd like to go on holiday for a week here, so I'm I'm going. To, I was going to say, imagine turning up to Jurgen Klopp saying. Oh, can I please, like, you, you know, two games until the Champions League final, like, look, can I go to the Maldives, please, with my girlfriend? I, don't, I, 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 I didn't don't quite think we'd, I, I didn't think we'd get here, so can I go on that all-inclusive of book books? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did pay the big sum of, like, 700, please, please. I'm not getting that deposit back, Jürgen, come on, like, yeah, it was funny when you said like sports science or there's there's not as nice things about sports science. And it reminded me of what you said at the very beginning. You said that you were lucky to get an unpaid role. <laughs> I was like, if if that's not that's the like I mean. epitome of sports science, I don't know what is that. So if if you go to a team with all your experience of being in on the boots and then now on the other side of things, if if you were asked because you're about to be asked, the if the, if the top three things that make a successful performance to st- statistic program, the top like top three things that you say you need to have this in place for your performance statistic program to have a shot of being successful, what would what would they be? Sorry, uh, if I could just add to that quickly as well, yeah. um, just like stuff that so stat sports actually like what separates them, you know, like what does that yep. do so well compared to the other companies that are out there? In terms of what separates that sports from the rest of the market, um, we, we like to, the way I phrase it is we have some guarantees to our clients. So we, we call them stat sports guarantees. The first of those is that we have the most accurate performance data on the market. We have been independently, externally validated by research institutions and clubs across the world more than any other performance microtechnology provider. So we, you can go and read all of the literature for yourself. There's no black boxes. We don't hide things at StatSports. If you want to know how valid and reliable we are, go and read the literature. We will supply the literature for you. We obviously have some internal stuff that we can provide as well. But obviously, if you want, if you want external, independent research, you can go and read it about StatSports. And it comes back as being excellent every single time. I mean, we, we go to the FIFA quality testing every year. We get, we get our FIFA certificate. We get our FIFA quality testing signed off by FIFA. I mean, just to, not to, to, to have a go at that organization, but you can pay to be their, their recommended partner. It's something that we've never done because we want you to actually go away and read, mm. um, read what, what FIFA has to say about us and make your own decisions. Um, as well as that, we have what I term as the fastest download times in industry. So it's a massive thing for workflow for practitioners. You don't want to be waiting hours at the end for your data to be downloaded. Mm. We can, we can, you can download up to 32 units at one time. You can download a two hour session in less than two minutes. So it's that accessibility to data that's wow. huge. Um, industry's leading live data system. So live sorry, data quickly. is, sorry, yeah. Is that? Is that just because you, as an intern, you were just sat there waiting for two hours for one pod just to download you? You thought to yourself, you know what, one day I'm going to change this. One we day can do, I'm going to sat here. We could be better. The old, was it Barack Obama change? That, that was very much the stats for us. I could slogan. be in the Maldives right now. I could be in the yeah, Maldives right now. So, yeah. I'm waiting for these 32 pods to come on. Yeah. 
No, what they don't what they don't tell you is that StatX has hundred interns that are working there for unpaid, downloading everything as fast as possible for all of the, <laughs> for all of the performance teams that have their stuff. Almost like a hamster wheel in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the big one for us was in chain, in dressing rooms. So we'd sit in dressing rooms, and when I was using, I'm not going to say other providers' names, but when I was when I'd be experienced with other providers, you'd sit and you'd be looking at your watch, going, "Everyone's <laughs> waiting for me." to get this downloaded so I can get back on the coach. We can go home or go back to the hotel. So being able to kind of just be in the dressing room, click a button, and then two minutes later, that you're the first one on the coach with everything packed up, already doing the report or already doing your key takeaways for a coach. You might have even had that conversation. Obviously, I, I wouldn't um, advise having a conversation with a coach after, after a game because if you've lost, it's, not, it's just not going in. Um, one of my biggest bugbears is, is when they ask coaches to do media interviews after a game because... It's, they're, they're still in, even if they've won, they're still in that shock mode of things are happening around them, but they're not fully there. If we had a, a bad result or, or even, a, even a great result, I'd very much be a case of, look, anything I say now, I don't want, I, I don't want on camera. Like it just, it's not, it's not a true reflection of, of it's, a, it's a true reflection of how I'm feeling in the moment, but it's not a true reflection of that kind of cold analytics side of things where it's, you're asking me to judge performance on something where I'm still, still reeling from it. I'm still shocked. I'm still in shock from it, things like that. Um, but yeah, just to go on to what I think we do better than anyone else is, like I said, live data is becoming absolutely huge in terms of, of um, the application and, and how it can influence sessions in real time and being able to kind of say, or even, I know, for example, there's some Premier League teams who use it to influence their substitution policy. So being able to see when players are, are dropping off in terms of and when fatigue is starting to have a performance impact, um, absolutely huge. Not only do we have the most accurate live data, that's why the way the unit's designed is that uh, it calculates all of the metrics on board rather than relying on an external receiver. So it's, it's, it's incredibly accurate. There's no difference between live data and download data. As well as that, it's, it's, it's all inbuilt into the iOS system. So you have live data on an Apple Watch, you have live data on an iPad. So ultimately, if you can have 100% accurate live data on a really accessible platform, mm. really easy to interpret, really easy for coaches to interpret as well, you aren't, it's, it's a lot more intuitive. It's a lot more flexible. Ultimately, we want to we wanna hand that to our, to our, to our clientele. Um, the final point that really separates us is we have an absolutely fantastic account management department. So... Um, some of your listeners who, who might be using other providers in terms of customer support might actually be having a, an absolutely torrid time. We don't have, we, we don't operate like a ticketing process. It's not a call up and speak to someone on another continent or call up and speak to a robot. There's no live chat. It's very personal. We ha- we, you talking to me obviously today, I'm all on the business development side of things, but we have people like me who are fully qualified industry experienced sports scientists some of which are still actually in practice as some of them there's there's a few sports scientists at stat sports who are still work with the football association of ireland or the irish rugby football union they're embedded Mm -hmm. into those programs whilst also being an account manager at stat sports you have 24 7 365 access to these people so if that's like I'll get uh, this sports scientists who use GPS will laugh at this because it's a, it's a bugbear. It's, it's a, it's a huge bugbear for a lot of the, in the industry, but when units accidentally go into a washing machine, these are the people who you communicate to get a replacement. Um, they are waterproof, but not that waterproof. Um, <laughs> is what I always say, but they're the people you contact to get a replacement. 
they're the people you contact if you've got questions on specific areas of the system. They're the people you question if you have areas for implementing for how you can implement the data and things like that. That it's very very personal, and I think it really sets us apart in the industry. Hmm. Hmm. No, that I mean that sounds amazing. Like you know, that's one thing when I was speaking to Scott about. I realised like you know, there's so much to not only the metrics that you guys have, but just the support and what you get when you get a GPS. So like he was even talking about like heart rate monitors that can be included and stuff. Like it was just a lot of help and it was a great conversation. It was very personal from the get go. You know, he said, let's hop on a call and t- talk about this. So it was just amazing. Um, and yeah, I was just wondering how will stat sports go to the next level or is there any future research that is being done in terms of like, yeah, just data collection? Yeah, well, we 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 are we're a technology company, and if you if you, I always think of it as like a shark. If you if you're a technology company and you and you stay still, you die. It's you need to be continually moving forward. You need to be continually continually innovating. It's something that we're we're doing. Um, we're innovating the product. We're innovating the software. I mean, you talk to me now. We've, we've got a software release coming out on Monday. Um, that's that's free to our existing clientele, and it, it's 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 all based on feedback is based on client feedback mm. it's we ultimately we know we know that while we have in my opinion the industry leading product we also know that there are areas which we can improve we can improve on and the only way we can improve is by going away and saying we you use stat sports or you use another provider if mm. you're using stat sports what would make your experience even better and if you're using another provider why 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 do you prefer that provider to us is it Sometimes it's just down to cost. Obviously, if we are the premium, we are also often the most expensive, and we understand that. But at the same, in in the same regard, is ultimately there's a reason. If if you're using competitors, is and you can justify the cost of it of, of changing over, why aren't you? What what's the reason for that? Is it something that we could go away and, and develop? I mean, one of the one of the ones that we did last year was um, the English FA came to us and said that we'd like to see accelerations and decelerations per minute live because it's something that we base our small sided games on great idea we went away and we, we developed it and we added it as a free update on the app store uh, on the apple app store um i think a month later so it's something that we are continually developing it's something that we we're, we're very proud of um and yeah just to go back to the, the other question in terms of of, of, of performance statistics and, and what are the most important things one is is metric selection so you need to pick valid accurate and sensitive metrics as well as that mm. being them being reliable so valid they need to say what they they need to measure what they say they measure mm-hmm. um, reliable if i was to do the same test or the same activity in the same environmental conditions do i get the same number mm-hmm. and um, sensitive do they pick up changes in the measures that they're supposed to pick up so one of the ones we did was a, a research study at the university of suffolk looked at, we have a metric called dynamic stress load. It's an indicator of neuromuscular fatigue. The player got more fatigued, the, the metric changed. That's so that it's sensitive to changes in neuromuscular fatigue. It's a sensitive metric, hugely, hugely vital. Again, we really believe in that independent external research. If, if we was to go and do it, which we do, but if we was to go and do it and then report it, it's, it, it doesn't carry the same strength as someone who is not affiliated with stat sports going away and no. doing it. It's Absolutely not good not, science. Yeah. We believe yeah. in that. The first thing someone does after um, reading that is looking down in, in the acknowledgments and if there's if there's any what's the word I'm looking for? Contradictions. In yep. yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. If it's like, oh yeah, this was this was sponsored by stats, immediately, immediately you go, hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so that's really like that famous one, that? isn't it? 
it's that famous one with the sugar. Um, yeah, exactly. Paid for by the sugar companies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. This this yeah. ad was not paid for by the tobacco companies. <laughs> <laughs> That's Very much so. Um ultimately in terms of that you need you need to have um as well as there's obviously having valid uh, reliable and sensitive metrics you need to have a a feedback loop. So you need to establish a feedback loop. There's no point collecting all of this data if it then doesn't get fed back to to players, players are becoming mm-hmm. more and more interested in their data. It can influence their, their decision making. It can influence their recovery protocols. is a huge one. Um, ultimately, they, they know their bodies better than I ever know their bodies. But if I can give them some objective data that says you need to be doing this from a recovery perspective, then loads of high speed running, infrared might be really useful. Heat heat um, heat uh, therapy might be really useful because we know that the, the hamstring and, and, and the posterior chain really really um likes that post high speed running forwards in the rugby you've done loads of collisions well you need to get you need to get some ice on that you need to reduce the inflammation massive from that in terms of the recovery protocol that's objective data informing decision making from the player's perspective obviously we've spoken at length about how it can inform the coaches but if that feedback loop doesn't exist then then ultimately the monitoring there's no real there's no real incentive to doing any any monitoring really um, so obviously metric selection, you've got um, your feedback loop, and then ultimately you need to identify what your determinants of performance are. You need to identify, like, there's no point having massive one. There's no point collecting high-speed running in basketball because they don't do it. Hmm. Same goes for in rugby. Exactly. That in, in rugby, you can, you can also, you, obviously, I think, I, in my opinion, accelerations and decelerations are important in rugby. Because obviously they indicate when when uh, change in speed and change in direction, but you can make an argument that decelerations aren't as important because a lot of the time you're decelerating in rugby, you're not choosing to do it. That's what I was <laughs> yeah. going to say. I was reading. You're running into a wall because um, I'm, I'm using some. That's the thing. I was read. Uh, I was doing some GPS stuff on a, on a game, and I saw our centre got just both just hit and then stop. And I was looking, and then I saw his deceleration was massive compared to everyone else. And I was wondering, like, is there an actual way to differentiate a, a collision to a chosen, like, voluntary deceleration? Yep. But I, it, it, yeah, it was just interesting yep. in the question. So, so to answer that question, yes, um, it's something that we're incredibly proud of this metric. So um, we have a metric in our rugby suite called collisions. It's, it's called collisions, and there's one called collision load, which is just a number multiplied by the magnitude of the collisions. So obviously every collision is not the same. That's all done by the accelerometer. So the, the accelerations and decelerations are monitored by the GPS or the GNSS now. So GPS is an outdated term. It's, that's just the American satellites. GNSS is a new term. That is GLONASS, Galileo, Beidou. Um, I always hesitate when I'm going to say this. The Russian satellites as well, um, as much as you don't want them to be. But it's any satellite, satellite signal in the world. Um, so, for example, in a nice open field, you can get up to 28, 29, 30 satellites on one play at one time. Phenomenal levels of data accuracy there, wow. rivaling the likes of a local positioning system, as an example. Um, but yeah, so that's all the, the accelerations and decelerations are calculated by the GNSS. So via the Doppler effect, obviously, it's a change in speed. But the collisions and the collision load are monitored by the accelerometer and high impact accelerometer. So that measures, that measures changes in acceleration. So obviously in a collision, a collision event, there's a huge change in acceleration because you go for, suddenly go from going one way to going the other. Um, so with, with that data, we can give you a few more metrics around collisions. We can do things like time to feet after a collision, which guys at the RFU, IRFU has identified as a determinant of performance. If their time to feet post-collision is higher, 
they are losing games because mm. mm. they're not back in the defensive line. Things like um, uh, average acceleration post-collision. So after they've had a collision, they get back to their feet. Are they accelerating to the same magnitude? Or is that collision having an effect on their acceleration performance? Things like that. It's it's that deeper level of insight that we can provide with accelerometer. Again, to go back to that valid, accurate, reliable point, mm. Ulster Rugby went away and they made a video analyst sit down and watch, I think it was 18 games of rugby. And they had to, ke- they had to count every time there was a collision. And they compared it to our collision load metric and our collisions metric on the stat sports system and found that we had 98% levels of, of consistency. Wow. So you, that you can have wow. 100, you pretty much have complete confidence mm. that we are picking up things that an analyst yeah. is picking up. Mm. So you can, you can trust that metric. That Again, poor intern. That if we came out with that and said, look, you can definitely trust our metric because we've done this study and it says so. Mm. ultimately you, you take that with a bit more pinch of salt it's, yeah. it's like coca-cola coming out and saying look we've got this really healthy bottle of coke ignore those scientists over there we've done the we've done the we've done the analysis or or any other drinks providers for that matter yeah just take a sip just take a sip it's okay <laughs> <laughs> well, that's incredible alex thank you so much for bringing all of your, your knowledge experience to this podcast that's been incredible i think so, so I just want to recap really quickly. Those three things that you said were, were the most important for kind of a performance statistic, statistic program. Metric selection, so that obviously you need to be reliable, valid, sensitive. You have to have a good feedback loop, whether that's to the coaches, to the athletes, to the stakeholders. And then, and then uh, to determine what, what impact performance and what can you measure that actually yeah. has can change performance. Definitely. Um, uh, I think even for me and, and and sports scientists, when people get into sports science, it's they don't know what's out there. And for me, when I think of like someone who worked honestly in, in your position, I would think a salesman. I wouldn't think a sports scientist. And so yeah. if like it was unbelievable to hear your story and how you got into it. And actually, there's so much more into that. And for people, you know, out there not sure what they're wanting to do. This is a, a hugely valid area that you can get into and extremely exciting because like you said you have your projects on the side that you get to do you get to go to unbelievable clubs and work with players and practitioners all over the world and that's something honestly before this conversation that i had no idea about uh so really really appreciate you coming on um so i just want to thank you we do have quick fire questions to, <laughs> to finish it off um but but just wanted to say that was that was incredible to hear your experience and, and your story and just to gain from that knowledge that you've obviously gotten from all from all the experience that you have so yeah just thank you well, thank you for having me and, and matt take it away awesome awesome first one what's the one item you would have on a desert starting nice and light uh, does, uh, I know these are quick fire. Um, the, 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 the very cold scientist on me says a, a way off. Um, uh, no, it's probably, probably a, a, I'd say a box of matches or a, a lighter because I can't, I've done it before. I've done the Duke of Edinburgh over overseeing here in, in England because I can't, I can't start a fire. And, uh, no, definitely. Yep. That's class. And then funniest, funniest moment with an athlete. Oh, funniest moment with an athlete. Um, I won't name the athlete, but but um, he's a superstar footballer from Egypt. Um, he he, we we were talking about recovery protocols, and he's and I was mentioning um, Paul like swimming swimming in terms of the hydrostatic pressure and, and the effect that can have on, on 
lactic acid and things like that. And, and he said, I said, look, there's a, I got up a list of local pools around his, his area. And he went, no, I've got one in my house. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll be going to that pool. And that's hilarious. <laughs> Very much you're so. Definitely, I think it was, you're definitely <laughs> talking about Firmino, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, highest top speed recorded? Oh, um, in, in ones that I've witnessed in the flesh, 37.18 kilometers an hour. Oh, and was that by David? Yeah, David with the <laughs> wheels. With the wheels. Yeah. No, that was... on my on my bike, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, that was uh, that was in a, that was in a training drill as well. That wasn't just a, a straight yeah. sprint. Yeah, wow. um, I've also seen Usain Bolt at Soccer Aid hit ten meters per second, which is around thirty six kilometers an hour. Wow, that's quick. So, I can't even dream of hitting those numbers. Um, he, he looked like he was jogging. Oh my goodness. He's, he is fluid. He's just biomechanically perfect. Um, yeah. Is this always what you wanted to do? Uh, no, I, I, would, I wanted to be, before um, university, I was looking at a parachute regiment and um, then I was looking at potentially going into the police force. Um, oh, wow. um, but but I, was, I was just too, too interested in sport. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a big little change, isn't it? Um, Mass- yeah, it's a, big, it's a big difference. On, on the topic of holidays, what's your dream holiday that you could never tell Jurgen Klopp you wanted to take? <laughs> um, <laughs> me and my my girlfriend, um, she's brilliant. Um, we we've always wanted to do um, a tour or a trip around Australia. So Australia nice. is kind of my my dream location. Um, so we'd always we've always wanted to do maybe start up in the Whit Sundays or or Brisbane and, and obviously come down the the. Yeah. East Coast, the Sydney, your Melbourne. Um, I've, I've, I've always wanted to kind of sit in the MCG and watch a, a five-day test or something between England and Australia and um, something like that. And then obviously finish in, in Perth and, and do like some shark diving or, or something like that. That's always been been the dream. Oh, jeez. I don't know how you'd have to explain to Stat Sports. Yeah, just four months off, please. <laughs> massive. That would be amazing, though. Oh, yeah, no, massive thank you for coming on and just speaking to us and just telling us everything about basically data i loved it it was i've learned so much eh? so yeah, yeah and i don't know i don't know if it would even be something we could do but it'd be great to somehow meet up and just get to see what you do in person and get that experience that i think that'd be amazing i don't know if there's even scope to do that but, <laughs> Go to HQ, but if there right? is yeah exactly <laughs> no definitely yeah. Yeah, Definitely. that would be amazing. But yeah, really appreciate you coming on, uh, Alex. Really, really appreciate your time. No, my pleasure. I mean, we've spoken a lot today about the, the elite side of things. Obviously, Matt, you've had experience with Scott, obviously on the, the consumer side of things as well. We have the, you might come away from this and listen and think, oh, Stat Sports is only for the likes of Liverpool, your cities, your, your English FAs, things like that. No, we, we, we work with, with teams at all levels. We have products that are tiered and aimed at, at different people. So in 2019, we, we launched the coach series and the athlete series applications. They are for your, they're for, they're for your Sunday league teams. They're for, they're for ultimately, if, you, if you're interested in your performance and you're interested in, in data that's simplified for coaches at all levels, we, mm. we provide that, that expertise, obviously at a largely lower price than, than the likes of Liverpool are paying. <laughs> um, you haven't got to finance it by selling, by selling a player. Don't worry about that. But um, but no, it's, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. <laughs> That's awesome. No, really, really appreciate that you that you mentioned that. That's awesome. Brilliant. Thanks for your time, guys, and thanks for having me on.